and welcome to What Excites Us, the show that discusses sex and sexuality throughout time and place, including the here and now. My name is Gwyn Isaacs, and in this episode, I'm chatting with Eric House, he, they, who is a life and relationship coach, along with being a spiritual guide and healer. He holds an MA in transpersonal psychology from Sophia University and works closely with people in the polyamorous and consensual non-monogamy communities. As a coach, he helps individuals, polycules, and morsums in digging down to find out what their unmet needs are so they can create the lives and relationships they've always wanted. In addition to coaching, he offers tarot and oracle card readings and energy healing. His training includes Usui Reiki Master and Teacher, IET Advanced, and Magical Awakening Level 8, which I can honestly say I wish I had asked him about because I have no idea what most of those credentials are, but I am thoroughly intrigued. However, what we did talk about is fascinating. This episode focuses on transpersonal potentials, ethics, coaching styles, ego and healing, and lots of other stuff too. If you would enjoy listening to the two plus hour wild ride conversation that we had where we also discussed the ills of our capitalist society, learning new skills later in life, a mini coaching session for me, our specific language and neurodivergencies, and many, many other random and topical subjects, you can do that by subscribing to my Patreon. But to do that, you must type in the whole URL because Patreon does not allow searching for pages that are adult in nature. So that link is patreon.com slash what excites us. That's patreon.com slash what excites us. This episode of What Excites Us is brought to you by me. I'm Gwyn Isaacs, and besides being your podcast host, I'm a certified sex coach and educator. And right now, I have some openings for text-based clients. I love coaching over email and text. It allows you to be open and vulnerable in ways that may feel too difficult in person, which lets us tackle the concerns you have at your own pace. Very few of us were taught how to have sex. Most of us are feeling our way through the dark, hoping we get it right. I can help you build skills in the bedroom and navigate your intimate relationships. I have two ways you can sign up to start texting with me right away. When you go to earthlydesire.com slash coaching, you will find a weekly subscription for daily correspondence and a way to schedule a live one-hour text chat. Visit earthlydesire.com to start on your path of more pleasure today. You deserve it. Hi, Eric. Hi, How Gwen. exciting. Yes. <laughs> I'm so honored and delighted that you wanted to do this with me. What What a treat. Yeah, I was excited to hear that you were doing a podcast. So I was like, well, yes, I want to get in on that. So I was reading the Wikipedia stuff that you sent. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> yes, both of them. <laughs> I can honestly say I didn't get through either of them. Uh, it's um, not surprising. And I'm not I'm not a dumb person. 
by any stretch. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm certainly not a genius either. There's a, a lot there. But before we go all the way into that. Yes. I um, I really liked the title that you came up with. Mm, thank you. Do you. Do you remember what you what you I wrote? think tossing the salad, uh, exploring the work terms of polyamory and transpersonal i don't i don't remember the, the all uh, everything after the colon but i remember most, yes. ooh, which is of yes. course an amusing thing to say after saying tossing the salad but oh it's gonna be like that is yes. it all right uh, uh, well i was like who i can i can make this a double entendre and it <laughs> won't be a problem and punny to boot excellent yes. i am i am a fan of 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 all of the above so yeah, tossing the salad, polyamory, transpersonal, and other, I don't remember the word you used, but basically lingo of, of things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. What led you to that? Well, started formulating because uh, like one of the first things that I did as my freemium to entice people to sign up for my email list, everybody, uh, is uh, I made a word search of polyamory terms because uh most people especially when they're starting out it's a lot of words that no one yeah not everyone agrees on what they mean even in in the communities uh, around polyamory and consensual non-monogamy so just giving some simple terms or some simple definitions and you know and if they want to they can print it out and they can circle things and be like "Ooh, i'm learning uh just like back in high school or elementary school i don't remember when people do word searches word searches um, are fun like yes, I, I mean they, the... they sell booklets at the grocery store for adults mm-hmm. even. so you started off with the word search mm-hmm. uh i have a master's in transpersonal psychology and everyone goes what the hell is that Right? Because what the hell is that? <laughs> it's, to me, transpersonal is, well, it's the exploration of the personal that goes both internally and externally. So say you've got an X and a Y axis that goes on for infinity in both directions. So transpersonal psychology covers both the vertical axis and the horizontal axis. So it's both about what's going on intrapersonally inside of yourself, and then transpersonally what's going on with the people around you. And then also Maslow's peak experience work was influenced by it. Most people's higher spiritual experiences and then depth work and shadow work are also all kind of in the transpersonal realm. That is a much clearer explanation than Wikipedia gave. That um. is also so very true i i did however really like the fact that jung called it the uber is it uber personal sometimes you find it called spiritual psychology but i was like okay. i'd like that but for that term itself might be a little too laden for some people even though it does address all the things that most people consider to be spiritual this is a term that covers a little bit broader spectrum than that. That makes a lot of sense. And it makes a lot of sense in terms of psychotherapy, because we are all products of what is happening inside as mm-hmm. well as outside. Do you therapize? <laughs> I do. I do coaching. I'm not a therapist. Okay. Coaching is about working with healthy or healthy-ish individuals and working on strengthening goals and meeting goals where therapy is a lot more 
uh, internal, but even in helping people with me, helping them figure out their goals and such, sometimes you encounter things that the person's like, I didn't know this thing that happened uh, in high school has caused me to be this way. So, you know, you look at that, you explore that a little. And then as I was taught in my coaching program, you move back to the present and the future. You don't spend all your time looking at the past. Where did you study? What program? I am actually still in a coaching program, the Synthesis Institute, and it is focused on a coaching framework using Roberto Azajoli's psychosynthesis, which is either a sub-school of transpersonal psychology or the school that kind one of the schools that kind of founded transpersonal theory uh, in the first place. A lot of work of his work was focused on helping people express their will, which he viewed as different than willpower. So you have your willpower, which is you know, how you tough things out. Uh, often when I'm talking to people and trying to explain his theory of will, there's a lot more uh, focus on agency. How he talks about will is our ability to make choice and to then follow through with choice. Interesting. So if I'm getting this right, will is more about tuning into your interests and desires than willpower, which is forcing yourself to go through with something. Yes. um, I would say that's a pretty accurate description of it. I'm not sure if everyone else in psychosynthesis would necessarily agree uh, because like most professions, no one agrees on everything a hundred percent of the time. Um, (laughs) But, and then it's about learning to direct the will. We're learning to be like, okay, this is something I'm committed to doing. And I'm going to follow through with it. It might be hard at times, and that's where maybe willpower comes in. But it's about taking the decision and being able to commit to it. And then as you also get feedback from your life and experience going, okay, this might not have been the right choice, but now I know. And then you can redirect your will with the feedback and the new information to apply it to the next step now that you have additional information. Yeah, thank you for clearing that. That makes a lot of sense to me. You are a coach. Is that your primary objective in this realm? And are you doing it one-on-one coaching folks? I primarily at the moment do one-on-one coaching. I am open to doing coaching with polycules and morsums. I haven't yet. So those first groups will be the people who get to explore this as I explore it. And do you do most of your coaching online? Most of my coaching is done online. Yes. And are you primarily interested in the polyamorous segment and people exploring that or Um, I that's an excellent question yes and I'm happy and willing to work with other people who just feel like they need some some coaching in their life last year I helped a coach and I coached them through a project of writing a book that's an exploration around kind of again the will of what's your next step? How are you going to do this? And then just going through the stages of helping them birth the project. So when you put yourself out as a coach, what kind of coach do you say? I say that I am a life and relationship coach and that I focus on polyamorous and consensual non-monogamy folk. And whoever comes to my door knocking for coaching, I'm like, 
let's see if we can work together because you know sometimes it's like yes we'd be a great fit and other times you're like no you need to go see my friend Gwen or whoever right. so right right there there are better people for you mm-hmm. <laughs> I am not that person yeah that definitely happens and in the pre-recording form you also mentioned tarot and other yes I do um, tarot oracle cards I'm trained in a number of energy healing techniques and does that come into your coaching as well? It does. I have not quite figured out what my package is, but there is a package that I'm figuring it out. Almost always when I do some tarot, there ends up being a little coaching conversation anyway. Um, sure. And I'm look, looking at how, in particular, how to integrate energy healing with a coaching practice and how to make those things work together well for folk. Sure. Do you find yourself doing readings many sessions, most sessions, some sessions, no sessions? Some sessions. I fairly often keep it separate because sometimes people are just like, I want a tarot reading. So it's like, okay, here you go. Have a tarot reading. And sometimes as we're doing a session, sometimes I'll go, so how do you feel about doing this? And sometimes the answer is, that sounds great. And we break out tarot cards or whatever, um, or, and other times you're like, no, you know, not, not this time, maybe later, or no, that's not for me. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. Part of, you know, any kind of coaching is listening to your intuition. And sometimes your intuition is let's listen to my intuition by using cards. I like your logo, by the way. Thank you. Does it have meaning for you or is it just pretty? Yes, it's a fractal heart because um, the catchphrase that I usually use for on the website and all the other things is love isn't finite, it's infinite. So a fractal heart represents that. Yeah, I like that a lot. And fractals are super cool too. Exactly. It also ties back into that transpersonal psychology where you're looking at the outward and the inward. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I love about fractals is that it's always the same and always different, right? Mm -hmm. I remember this documentary a really long time ago because my mother recorded it on VHS where it was looking at the coast of Maine and then just kept getting closer Mm. and closer. Mm -hmm. And then you're looking at a grain of sand and it's basically the same image in different variations. Do you find that that is similar with transpersonal psychology? Mm. Yes, there's definitely some similarities, like looking at it from, at the moment, from just a dysfunctional lens for a moment. If the things that we struggle with on a purely psychological level are also the things that are going to crop up when we're dealing or not dealing with them on a on a spiritual level as well. John Wellwood and a few other people, but John Wellwood was a uh, Buddhist psychologist, created this term called spiritual bypass, which you might have heard of, which is when we're using spiritual experiences to bypass our psychological issues, essentially. And those bypasses often have effects on our way of being. This is an interesting one because I'm, I just like the term law of attraction. I think there's better names for it than that. But 
people who rely on that too heavily and ignore the social economic effects that are also involved in everyday life and say the reason people can't get out of poverty is just because of their mindset, that is like a form of spiritual bypass because there are other things in effect beyond mindset that make it hard for people to be able to leave poverty behind. Mindset is a factor, but it's a small factor, which sometimes can open large doors. But being able to actually take the social economic issues and being able to shift them just because you have a positive attitude is probably not actually going to happen. So yeah. there's a um, uh, an occult historian, Mitch Horowitz, who's written on, he's written a number of fascinating books. And one of the things that he talks about is that often new thought or law of attraction people don't have enough action. Like right. they're not good at going, ah, here's, I'm just, they're, they're like, I'm just going to use this, my, my mind and solve these problems and, and don't actually uh, do what the, uh, the old Quaker expression of pray and move your feet. Um, right. And he, I heard him on an interview once talking about how also um, social organizers don't necessarily always have the vision slash mindset of what they want the world to actually be once the problem is solved and he's like you need to have both things to make to be able to make good solid progress absolutely so when you first said spiritual bypass it made me think of this cartoon or meme or i don't know technically mm -hmm. what it is anymore um <laughs> it's all the same mm -hmm. uh that my partner shared with me which is a guy on a quest for oh for the sword of truth he's on this massive quest for the sword of truth and it carries him through several panels to find the sword of truth and when he finally finds the sword of truth he asks the sword of truth what is my truth and the sword says you've been on this quest to avoid the shit you need to take care of at home mm -hmm. um well what it discusses like not that we shouldn't be on a spiritual journey or anything like that but he says like if you want to make a commitment to your spiritual journey you also need to make a commitment to your psychological health and look at your trauma explore your trauma with a professional and work on some of those things before you can really and i'm paraphrasing him obviously before you can Wait. really delve into your spiritual journey because if you're just using it as a way to shove your trauma down what good is that going to do you i find the readings of ethics from religious traditions interesting and go ah this is an interesting way of thinking about this and how to go about living one's life is it going to am i going to take everything from this and apply it to my life no but there is definitely wisdom here that could be applied, can be applied to how to go about living one's life. Which leads me to the next thing that I was thinking about that you mentioned before mm -hmm. we chatted about psychosynesis. 
psycho psychosynthesis. Synthesis. I yes. knew how to say that. That's annoying. Yeah. Psychosynthesis. Uh, I, I have a heck of a time saying it myself sometimes, and I'm studying it. So, <laughs> so is it figuring out what things work for you and how to incorporate them into your being? I would say that's a part of it. Definitely. Okay. It's a school, originally a school of psychotherapy. It looks at a lot of aspects of the human psyche, uh, our spiritual development and things like that. The, a lot of schools of psychotherapy are like, who cares? Uh, as a Jolie, the gentleman, the doctor who developed it, talked about it being a open system. So uh, he has, he has, I think it was like seven things that he was like, these have to be included in psychosynthesis training, but then include whatever else as long as it doesn't conflict with these other, other rules. And I think part of it is that exploration um, about finding what works for you, what helps you live a good life that is also... Hmm, I think the word that he would probably use is of service, Service, of course, also has some interesting capitalistic overtones to it. So perhaps another way of looking at it would be to live a good life that leaves the world, it, it, this is a long way of saying it, but leaves the world in a better place than when you got here. But so often we have moments, especially in our childhood, that make us feel other. Um, in the idea that we, um, who we are innately is not okay. One of the goals of psychosynthesis, uh, both in coaching and in, uh, in the therapy aspect of it, is to help people recognize their wholeness beyond outside of the sense of being othered. I think there, it's definitely, like you were saying, that, that finding the things that are right, bringing them in, and reintegrating them with ourselves. Uh, sometimes it might be things we never knew about ourselves, but often the things that we find out about ourselves later in life are because some part of ourself was shut down, shoved away because a parent a teacher, a sibling, whoever, society at large, because society kind of sucks from time to time, or a lot of the time, is tells us we're not right, we're not okay for being our innate self. Right. Which is the whole goal of this show, is to provide examples and opportunities of basically voyeuristically seeing other people mm -hmm. and experiencing other things so that everybody will come to understand that they are okay. Mm -hmm. Late stage capitalism really has a lack of social consciousness, Correct. which potentially stems from a lack of ethics to kind of tie it back to what we were talking about earlier. Well, how do we as humans, I don't really expect you to have an end all be all answer, by the way, just sort of throwing and this out there as a topic. that would be amazing if I did. Right? But... 
how do we as humans square those ethical dilemmas that we have within ourselves that multiply to corporations? So for instance, I know Jeff Bezos is an asshole and Mm -hmm. he spends his money badly. Mm -hmm. I still buy stuff on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And every time I do, I get a little pang of guilt. But -hmm. on the other hand, I have no idea where I'm supposed to find this one really specific thing that I need to have Mm -hmm. a more comfortable life today or tomorrow or this week. mm -hmm. So how, how... I think you, you I think you already asked you're already presenting one of the ways to take a look at that. Yeah. Does your life need to be more comfortable? Yeah, of course it does. Why? Because I'm human and I want it. Why? Because it feels good. Okay. So um this is of course an interesting question and this is where sometimes spiritual questions get funky or psycho-spiritual questions get funky yeah. when you're looking at ADHD where there is executive dysfunction and things like that. And ADHD often has a strong root in pleasure. One of the ways you address the disorganized the disorganization is by rewarding the pleasure centers of the brain. And once they're once they're happy, you you can go, ah reorganize some of the things and everything starts clicking in a normal manner sometimes <laughs> there. So as I was saying, here's the, one of the larger questions. Sometimes you hear this in Buddhism, you find this in other traditions also, why can't you be uncomfortable? What yeah. is it about discomfort? And this is comes to in particular is an, interesting aspect of American society, especially white American society, is this strong uncomfortability with being uncomfortable. And it goes to the ways that we numb ourselves. Video games, don't get me wrong, love video games, love TV. I enjoy those things. And yet sometimes I have to take a moment and go, okay, what am I? I avoiding by watching four hours of Netflix in a row. Right. What is the thing that I'm not addressing? Yeah. And it, that comes back to why. Uh, so I'm glad you bought whatever it is that you bought. But it, then one of the ways that we need to pretend who can potentially start to address that look at those problems is why do I feel I need this? What is, what is this, com- what's, what comfort thing is this? What need is this trying to fulfill? Is there another way I can fulfill this need? I'm getting a new paddle because um, I want because, uh, and you know, the first level is because I want a new paddle. The second level is because I think it would sound great when I am, you know, hitting my partner's bum with it. But sometimes what's underneath there is I'm worried because that we've not been playing as much and what that means for our relationship. And instead 
of actually sitting down, looking at that. We get the paddle and, per, and continue to, you know, maybe you get a little extra play because now you have a new toy, but then the, then the habit that whatever it is that is causing the play to not really happen just comes back. Right. Because you haven't taken the time to look at that uncomfortable thing and try to figure it out. I think that on the whole, that you absolutely called it, that Americans, particularly white Americans, are extremely uncomfortable with discomfort, you know, to the point that people will fill a room with conversation or not do something just because of a mild discomfort as opposed to the joy that they would get from getting over it. Much like my motivation issue is that getting started is the problem. It's the discomfort of making myself sit and focus, which can be quite uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. And that's not to discount people's biochemical issues. It comes down to taking internal stock of ourselves and being willing to admit why we're making the choice. It might be, I, you know, I am, I'm experiencing discomfort. I want to solve that discomfort by, by purchasing this thing because I do not have the time, energy to address the underlying cause of the problem. It's whether it comes down to whether we want to continue to lie to ourselves about why we're making the choices. It's about being honest with yourself about why you're choosing to feed that beast still. Because right. you've got two, two separate beasts. You've got the Amazon beast and you've got the beast that at the moment you're still, you're choosing to be like, can't take, don't have the energy or time to resolve this, which is fine. Sometimes say it's a problem with your partner. You don't have the time or the energy to sit down, have the conversation, go to couples therapy. All you can do at the moment is slap a bandage on it and hope the bleeding stops. That is um, but- absolutely a valid thing to acknowledge that it's usually more than two beasts, that mm-hmm. there are that there are plethora a, of beasts. A myriad of things going into <laughs> virtually every decision we make. Mm-hmm. And, and that comes from the tiny, I don't know where I'm going to find a three-way light bulb to, mm-hmm. or fish food. That was the last thing I bought. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. where there's fish, like PetSmart any better than Amazon. No, not really. Um, mm-hmm. So it's more than that. And there's usually 12 other things going on besides, is it convenient? Mm-hmm. Does it stop the bleeding? <laughs> from those surface things to the depths that you were pushing with the why and the why and the why, which is Mm -hmm. always a good technique. Humans Mm -hmm. always ask yourself why 12 times or seven Mm -hmm. or three or 38, whatever, (laughs) whatever number works for you, (laughs) whatever number it gets to the depth of the answer, because we are complex individual beings and we live in a complex society that it's never black or white. There's always God help me, 150 shades of gray. Um, and mm-hmm. and and there's more to it. And ethics is a field of study because there's more to it. There isn't mm-hmm. just the one thing. 
There isn't a yeah. simple answer. Do you find that when you're with clients, you go deep like this? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I mean, from my experience, some some clients want that and some don't. Um, mm-hmm. w- with whatever it is, whatever aspect of coaching you're talking about. Um, yeah. Some folks um, like it when I tell my story. Some folks don't want to know anything about me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, for the coaching, I think it really, it depends on A, what they're wanting to explore, and then also what they're able to explore, like coaching. Sure and therapy, but we'll stick with coaching at the moment. Sometimes it is about pushing people outside of their comfort zone, not pushing, encouraging them to step out and live the more fulfilling life that they could be living. Beautiful reframe. Yeah, thank you. Uh, And sometimes that means like you have to ask questions or have them look at things in ways that they didn't want to or haven't been able to. And this is where the intuition aspect, because most coaches, they, it might not be, intuition might not be the term that they use, but intuition and empathy come into play in knowing what can be pushed and the person can benefit and the world in a macro sense, the world can benefit from this person's new point of view or what is going to actually potentially cause harm. Coaching as as an unlicensed profession, my opinion is coaches have to be particularly aware of the fact that not all coaching schools, not all coaching questions, not all things along that line are right for every individual client that come to us. And we have to be aware to not be causing harm as we're encouraging growth. There is a tendency in coaches and all helping professions, most all, uh, probably all, to want to help our clients so much, and this kind of goes back to spiritual bypass, that we're willing to extend ourselves beyond what we should probably be extending ourselves to. And this, like like Wellwood was talking about, can be a way that we're just shoving our own trauma down instead of going to a therapist or doing whatever we need. And this also goes back to what we were talking about, discomfort and our uncomfortability of uh, our discomfort with being uncomfortable. We don't take, sometimes we don't take our therapy, take it out, uh, therapy, trauma and go, oh, hello, how are you? Nice to see you. Let's, let's see what we can do to get you a little bit smaller. You know, like it's about the awareness of sometimes it's the awareness of our own issues as that come up in the coaching session. I've had it happen where the person's talking about experience and I'm like triggered or whatever, you know, like my own story starts to come up and I'm not paying attention anymore to what's being said in front of me. And in coaching uh, and in life, we have to be like, wait a minute, this isn't about this. We have to, in psychosynthesis in particular, there's a few techniques to help one 
leave that to the side or leave that because it's not about repressing. It's just like, not right now. I'll come back to you in a minute. I have to be with this person in the moment about the experience that they're having, not about my memory of when my mother or whoever said something similar to me at the same age that this person had their experience or whatever. Right. It is important to be able to recognize and then tell it to go sit down over there. <laughs> like mm -hmm. we'll come, we'll we'll talk to you later. Right now we're talking mm -hmm. to you. <laughs> well, and that's why, like in ICF coaching, you have a trainer, you have a mentor, things like that. So that after your session, uh, maybe not me obviously immediately, but you can then go to someone and be like, hey, this is a thing that happened when I was coaching with this person. And they can be like, ah, so here are some techniques to help you do address that. Here are some ways for you to coach yourself or ways to be present in that moment so that your client is getting you. The full benefit of you being present for them. Yeah. But we are human. It's important to recognize that we are mm -hmm. fallible and we do things. Uh, right. Hopefully as coaches, we have at least learned to use that experience to figure out mm -hmm. how to do it better. And as you're saying, you know, we're our humans. Sometimes I have said to clients, I'm sorry. I had a moment. I missed what you said. I'm sorry that I was not present with you as you were saying that. And, well, and I think that that's also a really great example of teaching through meta by demonstrating by example and that it's okay to make mistakes because, mm -hmm. well, I don't know. I, I've, I've recently had a, a spate of clients who had a really hard time acknowledging their, their challenges, not that they mm. had them, but when they were happening in the moment. Um, mm -hmm. And so it, it's sort of fresh in my mind. <laughs> as, mm -hmm. as like, Oh, well I make mistakes all the time. Let me show you the many ways that mm -hmm. I have fucked up just in the past 20 minutes. <laughs> which I think mm -hmm. is a very useful it's, tool. It's, it's useful for me I, to see. So I assume that it's useful for others. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that again comes back to, uh, as you said, like they have a hard time seeing their behavior as it's happening. Um, and let me ask a question. Do they have the awareness of, oh, I shouldn't have necessarily done that like after the fact? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. And it, you know, and like I, I said, it's, a, it's a few clients. It's not one person. Right. Of course. So yeah. There's a whole I'm lot curious of curious around and not necessarily just yours, just like in a larger coaching context, when that is happening, how that relates to their discomfort with being uncomfortable. Mm, yeah. That's a good question. And something I'm going to ruminate on the next time mm -hmm. it comes up. I know that I sometimes do, I I know sometimes I know that I don't like to be wrong. I've gotten better about being wrong, still not great about it, and I know some of where that all comes from in my past. In particular, it's a thing about for me, it's not necessarily even being wrong. I don't like being told that I'm wrong about something when in particular I know I'm actually right about mm. the thing. And I think that's a thing that many people have on some level or another. Sure. But I know for me, that is probably a little bit bigger than 
the general population, shall we say. There it comes back again to a discomfort with being uncomfortable. And one of the techniques I've had to use is, does it matter? Does it matter that this person is wrong about the thing and I'm right about the thing? Sometimes it doesn't matter and I can let it go. Sometimes it does matter and I have to let it go because like it can't move the person around like we were talking about Chick-fil-A earlier. Sometimes the part of me that knows I'm right and knows the person is not right can't let it go even though it doesn't matter. And again, it becomes a matter of sometimes I know this in the moment. I'm just like, okay, we're riding this train and I'm going to get the fear, figure out this later on. And then sometimes it's like realization after the fact that didn't matter in the least. Why, why was that a hill I needed to die on uh, around this thing there? I know it's an exploration of that discomfort why because i find a comfort in being right about the thing why can't i sit with the discomfort of why can't i find solace or comfort in knowing that i'm right and just accepting that and letting it all unfold in other ways right not needing to prove that you're right to Mm -hmm. the other person and having Mm -hmm. them acknowledge that you are right right yeah exactly I think that you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. That feels nice. (laughs) That a lot of it hinges on um, uh, being uncomfortable. And especially, I am not a man, but I have seen this more with men, in particular, smart men who perhaps put a lot of value on their intellectual intelligence. And so that it becomes a, a... a, a genuine wound if it is questioned or proven to mm-hmm. be not accurate. That is truly so, supposition from uh, nothing more than my general experience. <laughs> I have not been trained well, in this. So this is just what I see. <laughs> I like I like your term general wound. Uh, I find your term general wound interesting in particular around that because Yes, the ego gets bruised and it becomes so interesting. And I know that I'm not always great about this. How, uh, again, how men, in particular white men, respond to getting their ego bruised. I know, as I said, I'm not always great about this. I've gotten better. I can get better still about it. And again, it goes back to that discomfort. Why does my intelligence matter so much that to be shown, especially in particular when the person definitely is wrong, and I've had these moments and I've seen, and I've seen other guys have this moment and I've caused this moment to other guys and some of them caused it to me and I've seen women cause it to, it's always also interesting how guys respond to another guy being like, no, you're wrong on that thing and being, and showing how they're wrong. And then um, a woman telling it, showing, trying to show them how they're wrong. And woo, that's, that's a whole other episode just in that one thing. 
why does it matter so much that my being wrong about something causes me such discomfort that I can't accept it? I think it's identity. I think that a lot of men who are intellectually intelligent put a lot of their identity into that intellectual, mm -hmm. that, that becomes who they are. That is one of the more driving forces of their being. Um, mm -hmm. And, and m more than just the ego getting wounded, that it feels like a chink in who they are as a human. And this is where some of the work in psychosynthesis comes in. Because in psychosynthesis and spiritual traditions and things like that, there is an aspect of ourself that is whole and complete beyond the personality. When we have our identity so tied into our intelligence or whatever, that being wrong causes us such distress that why are we so identified with that part? What is it about our intelligence, about those things that become so important that we can't remember that there is a part of ourselves that exists beyond that, that is whole and complete beyond the you know, fact that we were wrong? Ooh, 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 I have a thought. Yes. <laughs> I think that a big part of that has to do with societal norms, that because our society places such a value on that type of intelligence, mm -hmm. that if a person happens to have that, that they want to cling to that because it's not just their own selves and their family units and mm -hmm. their, their other social mm -hmm. organizations. It's all of our specific civilization at the moment that values mm -hmm. that and therefore mm -hmm. they can be a part of what is good in air quotes in the world and so it's not just their identity it's their identity in relationship to the rest of their world mm -hmm. and along that line uh, have you read laurie bates's men who hate women fascinating upsetting disturbing well done book Okay. On uh, incels on and uh, and that whole uh, collection of things, uh, people, thing, things as in movement, people right. as in humans. And as you were saying, there's societal and other things that become so important to the identity that anything that challenges it is unacceptable. It feels no. like a bigger threat than mm -hmm. just uh, being wrong on a math quiz or what have you. Right. It, it, it feels like a threat to their whole being. Right. And there's the thing. So Bell Hooks, uh, the feminist woman of color who writes, uh, has written a number of fantastic books on feminism and patriarchy and things like that. One of the things she discusses in a few of her books, but in particular, The Will to Love, is how patriarchal capitalistic society also creates othering for men. It encourages and enforces a divorcing of the emotional self 
this also ties into the comfort of discomfort because emotions, especially if you are a guy very raised in a very traditional male dominated way of looking about the world, emotions are not an acceptable thing, except for like one or two of them, one of them being anger. Right. You can be angry and you can be joyful, but that's it. And it's only certain expressions of joy. Right. Usually you can't be like, those flowers are so beautiful or things like that. Or like all the people who were making fun of the double rainbow guy years ago. Right. That was uh, an expression of joy from a man that was viewed as unacceptable. Right. There is this larger need for our society in our society to move towards this remembrance of the whole self, this whole being, the higher self, whatever term one wants to apply to it, the soul, whatever, that is whole, unique, and complete beyond the trappings of our personality. And one of the things in psychosynthesis is called disidentification and then self-identification. So you disidentify, you do a process to remember that you're more than your thoughts, your emotions, your body, your role in society and such. And then there's a product of identifying with this sense of completeness of wholeness that exists beyond your personality, beyond your experiences that, um, I would say is eternal. Other people in psychosynthesis might not. So this eternal aspect of self that exists beyond society, beyond the wounding of our childhood, our, the wounding of our present even. Often we talk about like the childhood traumas and how those things are what divorce us from experiences. I think there are events that can happen in adulthood can either reinforce the othering or make us feel a new sense of otherness that require work to address. I wholeheartedly agree. Having experienced several pieces of trauma from not quite adulthood, late teens into, oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that have dramatically shaped who I am and things that I care about. I appreciate that you are specifically taking on this type of work to help people with one-on-one. It's not light work. Mm -hmm. Having chatted with you a a bit, I have the feeling that you're comfortable with digging into the, to the depths. Yeah. But then of course there are moments where I'm uncomfortable with it. And then I get, and then I have to sit with it and be like, why am I uncomfortable with it? Right. But you're willing to do that. That's huge. I mean, just that is huge. You are actively taking clients. I am actively taking clients. And Uh, how do people find you? They can find me on Instagram at love multiplies coaching. My website is in a stage of flux at the moment, but there will be a link on there to find my website and they can email me at info at love multiplies coaching.com. Excellent. 
I will the, have a freemium that I'm going to the send to the link to to you so that you can have yep. it. Uh, and if you want to download it and sign up for my email list, you can do that too. I will. I will because I love word searches, especially ones about polyamory and that sort of thing. That sounds wicked fun. Um, thank you so much, Eric, for being on this show. And You're what welcome. I like to do is end the interview by asking what excites you? Mm. What excites me at the moment is just the prospect of helping people become more themselves. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. I like, I that like a it lot. too. Yeah, clearly it's what excites you. And yes. it's what the work that you are doing in the world. So excellent. Win, win, win for everyone. Yes. All it right. was a great experience. I loved it. I'm so glad. I'll talk to you later. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, we never did circle back to polyamory, but what did y'all think of my conversation with Eric House? The link to his groovy polyamory word search is in the show notes, as is his contact info and website, which is lovemultipliescoaching.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and any other feedback you have. You can review the podcast at places that take reviews like Apple Podcast, or you can join the Patreon, or you can go to whatexcitesus.com and click the record button and tell me anonymously. You could also use that button to tell me a story or ask a question, pitch yourself as a guest, or just random sound art. I'd love to hear from you, no matter what it is. As long as you're not being a creep. Please don't be creepy. What Excites Us is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Gwyn Isaacs. All music is used under the Creative Commons Attribution License. This week, that includes The Vendetta by Stefan Kartenberg, Let Me Talk Carol by Josh Woodward, Harmony by Polly Plus, and this is Swing Electronic Bass by Skidoo. Tickle.life hosts this and many other podcasts about sex and sexuality, as well as having lots of great other content. Thanks for listening. You rock, and I appreciate you. Hey folks, do you know that What Excites Us has a Patreon account? Well, we do. Are you familiar with Patreon yet? It's a great way to directly support the people who enhance your life. There are artists, writers, podcasters, as well as many other types of creators and conversation makers who could use your help to continue to do great work, including me. You see, I love making this show and yet I still need to earn a living. When you contribute to creators, they can keep producing the work you enjoy. And when you do become a patron of a creator, your membership almost always involves perks. For instance, for only $6 a month, you get to hear the episodes of What Excites Us without any ads like this one. You will be invited into our private Facebook group, and you can message me from inside the Patreon app. If you love the show and can afford to support us, for $99 a month you get all the perks, many of which I haven't mentioned, including live, regular video chats with me. 
No matter what level you come in on, you will have my undying appreciation and gratitude. And if you are among the first 15 people to join, you will get a never expiring coupon code for an extra 20% off your first merch purchase, even if you come in on the level that already has 20% off. Merch is coming soon, I promise. So come join me on Patreon and tell me what excites you.